Sinners and Saints. Dust off those horns and halos. It's time for Alec After Dark. Sinners and Saints, how you doing tonight? I hope you're feeling well. I hope you're feeling sexy. I bet you're all looking really good. I'm sorry, my voice may sound a bit scratchy as I'm recording this, but the explanation is not a sexy one, but it was a good time. We had our pride parade at night and it was pouring down the rain. So a lot of us that were in the parade got wet and it turned cold. So this is the result of that. It wasn't from some great sexual encounter that I can brag about, but nonetheless, it was a good time. And as you know, we're here in the dead center of the Halloween season. And as promised, we're continuing our series this month on the paranormal and supernatural and just the strange things that have happened to me throughout my life. Being from the Bible Belt, from Appalachia in Tennessee, you can't deny that the the older generations in particular grew up with many superstitions. It's just part of the culture here. It's the folklore, the old wives' tales that are carried down from generation to generation. And if you have a family that tends to be particularly superstitious and believe a lot of the folklore, the old wives' tales, then it does affect you as well. Just looking at my own history and from where I'm from and the things I've experienced, a lot of that is influenced by your parents, your grandparents, and so on. It's hard to dismiss how strong those influences can be, how they can affect you. In the cases of things like the supernatural or paranormal, while there might be a logical explanation for the experience being influenced by the previous generations and what they say is real and true can make you think that what has happened to you is also from a paranormal or supernatural perspective. In the stories I'm going to tell tonight, it will be under the influence of my older generations and from things that they've told me. I'm not saying that these experiences are real, but I'm not going to say that they're false. They could be real. They could be from the overactive imagination influenced by what stories I've been told from the older generations. So let's take a trip back in time to the early days of superstition, folklore, and old wives' tales in my hometown. You know, if I was trying to pinpoint where a lot of this superstition within my family came from, I honestly have to say that it just originated from the previous generations. When something couldn't be explained precisely, they just applied a different theory like witchcraft or demonic presence or something to that effect. And there is something to be said about the uniqueness or maybe it's the strangeness of 
the woods and the forest in Appalachia, in the areas that I lived. I believe everybody would understand that woods can be, or forest can be, an amazing place to hide. If you are intending on doing something criminal or even evil, say murder, what better place to do it than in the deep woods of Appalachia where most likely no one else would be around. But I believe that things like that that have occurred throughout history, murders and abductions and things and brutality hidden in the woods gives forests certain sinister qualities. There is a strangeness that you feel sometimes in the woods in my hometown. There is a dark history there of murder and other criminal behavior and also theories of witchcraft and satanic worship that have never been proven. But once that gets instilled into the community psyche, it's hard to debunk that. From my perspective, I still carry those same superstitions. I know the stories, even though I consider myself educated and well-read. You can't really separate yourself from those teachings, those stories that you were told when you were young. It sticks with you. I believe that most of our fears that we have as adults does stem from the stories and the perceived experiences we had as little kids. I think we are more prone to be frightened when we are kids. But, you know, your parents, well, basically have to teach you that way. You have to be taught that you can't trust everybody, that there are scary and dangerous things in the world. And I think part of that teaching of being cautious and wary of strangers may have been part of the practice of telling us as kids these really scary and creepy stories about ghosts and witches and satanic cults that could exist. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that this is the Bible Belt where I live and in the previous generations, well, even till today, the church whichever religion you want to associate with it, they have powerful influence over every aspect of society. Go back a couple of generations ago, and the, the church was the cornerstone, the foundation of every community. And that gave a pastor of a church, a minister, huge amounts of influence. And a lot of them would use fear to keep their church filled with people. They would not only preach a sermon, they would engage in fear-mongering, claiming that there were satanic cults lurking around every corner, waiting to pounce on your children and take them away for human sacrifice. The instillment of fear in people kept the church pews full. And while there wasn't a lot of money, poverty runs rampant in Appalachia in the Bible Belt. So the one valuable asset that ministers, pastors had was the power of influence. And it was tremendous because you were never to question the authority and the knowledge or wisdom of a minister. Although we know that ministers are as human as the rest of us. 
and have their own vices and desires. And that taste of power that they receive, I believe, absolutely affects them in a way that they, almost like a drug, an addiction, that they don't want to ever give it up. Like the the, the so-called ministers in Salem during the, the witch trials, they knew that the women that they were persecuting weren't witches. They created fake weapons that made it appear that the woman wasn't injured or wounded. You do that because you want to continue to have that power. And if you, if you had power like they did, in which a whole community would come together to burn a woman at the stake because a minister accuses that woman and uses fake evidence to prove it, that, I believe, is the pinnacle of power. And they don't want to let that go. The same applies in this instance, too, I believe. One of the first things that I can remember that relates to scary events is, well, I'll give you an example of what I mean by the power of a minister. There was a rumor that a satanic cult was looking for young blonde children, preferably boys, for a human sacrifice. I remember my grandmother telling my mother that story and how the whole community was terrified that these dangerous people, this cult that worshiped Satan was coming to get the kids and sacrifice them. We being country kids in the summertime, especially you just ran from house to house playing all day long. You didn't worry about anything until you got hungry or thirsty and you didn't really have to come home until it got dark. Well, you wanted to be in the house before supper. So you didn't want to have to have the folks come looking for you. My mom and every mother that I knew in the family was terrified. And at that time, my mother was working a job. So we had strict instructions, orders to not leave the house during the day when she was at work. Now, do you really think that me and my brother really followed that? No, but they instilled such fear about this cult that was coming to get us. Oh, by the way, my brother and I, in our younger years, were blonde. We were playing outside, but we didn't drift too much farther away from our front porch, but like maybe five or six feet. And I was afraid to ride my bicycle. I used to ride it up and down our driveway, and we had a very long driveway. But we were the last house in our area, so if something was to happen to us, there was nobody around that would know that something happened to us until it was too late. None of this is true. There was no satanic cult. There have never been, there's never been evidence of a satanic cult in the area where I live, but those rumors would flare up every so often, and it went on for years. I can recall at least 10 years of those types of rumors, and just like in Salem, women that were labeled witches, there were people in that area that were labeled devil worshipers. And even that wasn't true. But it is hard to shake that image if somebody accuses you that has credibility in the community, albeit only perceived credibility. They really shouldn't have the credibility, but because of their position of power as a minister or a leader, they do get credibility. That is usually not justified. I remember spending many times locked in the house 
but daring to go outside when I was just so bored I couldn't stand it anymore. I wonder if my mom knew that I did that, what would she say now? I don't know if she would be embarrassed about her behavior then, but my dad was the same way back in those times. When those rumors started spreading and people would ask, well, where did this come from? Whether it was true or not, the person would always say that it stemmed from some reverend, some pastor or minister that had warned people. And you would have to wonder sometimes, well, where did the minister get this information? Well, I'll just tell you, if it was a minister spreading the rumor, they would have said that God told them about the situation. So because they were so close to God, God would tell them, give them information to share with their flock. Yeah, flock that. But it kind of goes to show you how much power a person can have and how words can turn a community upside down. On dark, creepy nights, my mom and dad used to tell me the story of a certain woman that lived in the community, how many of the kids were terrified of her. She probably suffered from dementia or Alzheimer's, but those things weren't really known in the 1940s and 50s. So if you're a kid and a person doesn't act in the way that you view as normal, they become a very frightening figure in your life. One of the things that mom would talk about is how, we'll call her Mrs. Walden. Mrs. Walden would wander the roads wearing this sort of like white nightgown, but it flowed in a way that looked really frightening to people. And it tended to almost glow with moonlight and any kind of reflection of light. And she would wander the roads at night. The woman had a reputation already before she was showing this type of behavior. The neighborhood kids said that she was a witch and that she performed satanic rituals in the woods behind her house. And it was, you know, one of the houses that all the kids were afraid of. My mom, obviously, when they tell the story, she's very dismissive of it now. But my dad will always chime in. Uh, see, my dad, before my parents got married, my dad was friends with my mom's two older brothers. So he used to hang out with them a lot before my mom and dad dated and then got married. But apparently one day, my dad and one of my uncles got to talking about her. And of course, being country kids back then, you could just go anywhere you know, just don't do, don't cause trouble, but you just went around. You walked around, you can go anywhere, walking through the woods, whatever. You could do whatever you wanted, pretty much. Just don't do damage or, or aggravate anybody. So apparently on this day, they decided to sneak over to Mrs. Walden's house. And they wanted to see for themselves if she was a witch. They they go to the house and they're hiding in the woods in near the house. He's never told me what she was wearing, but from the way he's kind of described it, she was wearing some sort of dark robe when she stepped out into the backyard. My guess is it was just a long coat. And he said that she performed some sort of strange prayer or something, some sort of dancing ritual, and walked 
Okay, where her house was, apparently there was uh, several acres of woods, but beyond that was the Tennessee River. She had something like in a basket or in her hands and she walked into the woods and she was walking toward the river. My dad and my uncle tried their best to quietly follow her. I don't know how quiet they were, but they followed her to the river. And apparently she conducted some sort of prayer or ritual. And she apparently had the bones of an animal, probably one that she actually had eaten herself. I'll get into that eventually about how you killed your own animals, you skinned them, you cooked them, prepared them, whatever. But she had the bones of an animal. During this ritual, she dropped them into the river. And my dad and my uncle were terrified because my dad tells me, and he'll tell me to this day, that the bones did not sink and they floated against the current. He was probably 13 or 14, maybe 15 years old when they witnessed this. So the imagination of a kid can be wild. But he insists that she did this ritual and the bones floated backwards. Well, that kind of event would definitely label that woman as a witch and dangerous. But my parents' generation, like my generation and every other generation, they were witness to this, but they didn't tell anybody when they were kids, except for other boys that they hung out with. And it added to her fame, Mrs. Walden's fame, of being a witch. And it instilled enough terror to scare every boy and girl in the neighborhood. They never went back near her house. And if they saw her wandering the roads or approaching the house, they would run into the house and scream for their parents. They absolutely were terrified of her. A lot of you are probably wondering why was she conducting such a ritual? And it was my dad's belief that this ritual that she was performing was designed to give her more power from from the devil. <laughs> Having talked about the folklore, the legend, the rumors, there are things that have happened to me and in my hometown that are not explainable. I'm fairly certain the fear of Miss Walden stems from the old legend of the Wampus Cat, a folklore tale that involves, well, the story has many connotations, I know. There's different versions of the story about the Wampus Cat, and the version that I know of from my hometown, from the area that I came from, is that there was a, a Cherokee Indian woman who had the ability to change into a cat and at some point as she was doing this change she was spotted by someone witnessed in her transition but because she was seen by someone it caused a curse to which she was frozen in between or combined into being this different creature that's like half woman half cat she was made to basically suffer in this way for the for all of eternity and on certain nights coming from the woods you will hear this 
bone chilling cry, scream that people say is the Wampus Cat. And that story kind of evolved in my situation from the, the story that Miss Walden was a witch and that she had somehow punished this girl for whatever reason it was. Obviously, well, the obvious one would be for adultery, for having sex out of wedlock or something like that. You know, another, another method to scare people. What rings true for me on that, if you want to call it true, the supernatural characteristics of that story is that, I'll be honest, I have heard the strange, bizarre cry one night in the middle of the night. I was laying in bed, my window open, and I heard it, and it was terrifying. Science would say that it was a hoot owl, or as we like to call them, a screech owl, or possibly a lynx or a bobcat that have very unique cries or screams or, or growls. But many people have talked about the strange sounds that have come from the woods. And hunters who use dogs to hunt with have said that they have heard the sound and the dogs have too. And the dogs are absolutely terrified of the sound that this creature makes. Have you ever heard the term magnet as far as someone who could draw paranormal activity toward them, draw spirits and so on? I have been told by people that they feel that I am a magnet for the supernatural. And I, I'm kind of indecisive on that, but there's no doubt that I'm a magnet for very weird things to happen to me in the real world it just seems like weird things just occur to me all the time just bizarre unusual things but there are some paranormal experiences that did occur that make no sense for example one night it was a i think it was a saturday night i am about i would say 15 or 16 years old it's a little bit late late being after 10 o'clock and my mom and I are watching television. My brother is in his room and my dad is in their bedroom uh, reading. And we're just kind of watching this television show and it's really interesting. All of a sudden, we just hear out of the blue, Alan, my mom and I look at each other and she says, what in the world does your father want? And she gets up and goes down the hall to their bedroom and opens the door and, and she just asks him, what do you want with Alan? And he's like, what are you talking about? Well, you just called for him. And he said, no, I didn't. And my mom comes back toward, well, she goes over across the hall to my brother's room and opens the door and he's already asleep. So she comes back down the hallway looking at me funny. And I'm like, she said, you did hear that, right? I'm like, yes, mom. I heard my name being called out in a deep voice. And we never figured out what that was. My dad wasn't asleep, so he wasn't talking in his sleep. And my brother, if he could could talk in that deep of a voice at the age of 11, I would have been like, well, he's possessed with the devil and he's getting ready to spew pea soup and make his head go around. I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier in this episode, but we were, we lived on an old country gravel dirt road. We were the last house 
on that road and the road led to the lake but we were the last house and where the house was we were really surrounded on all sides by forest by the woods basically everything on our road was surrounded by woods and when you're a kid with all the wild imaginations that we have i can remember how frightening the woods could be at night and there were many nights of weird noises and sounds and and unexplainable things that happened when i was a kid but that's from the mind of a, of a child as well there's a few things that i i can think back right now as we come toward the end of this episode i remember one night my brother and i had to share a room uh, for many years and the first house we lived in was really really not a very good house it was a very old rickety house but it was our castle but i remember one night it was in the winter time it was a cold dark winter night and the wind was blowing outside and i know you all have heard it too if you've been laying in bed in the quiet and the wind's blowing and you'll hear the scuffle of leaves but one night as i was laying there i just remember that the scuffle of leaves didn't sound normal for a few seconds the sound really did seem like footsteps slow methodical measured footsteps now this wouldn't have been uncommon where we were because there were people that would hunt and they would wander onto private property all the time and they wouldn't expect to see a house where our house was even though we did have a long driveway that people should know it led to somewhere that night I just remember even being afraid to call out to my mom and dad afraid that it might alert this person outside and they might decide to break in I don't know why I thought it that way I would have thought I should have thought that by yelling out that it might scare the person away or make them move on it could have easily been my imagination it could have been deer it could have been possibly a raccoon or a possum but the footsteps were too familiar as a person a human's steps that i just dismissed any other possibility but when you're like nine years old that's a really scary thing to experience when you're laying in the quiet dead of night with the winds blowing outside and you hear that scuffle i do think back to those days when i was really more carefree and how me and my brother would play in the woods all day long and enjoy the woods climbing trees just exploring our area not thinking about the possibilities that could happen we hear so often now in this time of children being snatched kidnapped murdered and it would have been a way for people to do it if they knew that kids were playing in the woods and there were and there was a way to get to us without being seen or heard and where we lived that was a real possibility i wonder you know i think back to that that time i wonder i guess we were really lucky that it was a different time there was a bit more of innocence even though there were terrible things that happened even when i was a child but we didn't think about that i would really fear for my nephews and nieces to play out in the woods the way we did because i would be afraid that some monster 
is lurking out there just waiting to snatch them up. But I do find the woods, the forest in my hometown, that area, to be a lot more intimidating now as an adult than I ever did as a child. You know, there's no street light. The woods are dense and thick. And if there's not a moon high enough in the sky, it's really, really dark. With a, a vivid imagination, it's amazing what you can concoct in your mind of what could be lurking behind the trees, waiting to jump out at any given minute. But isn't it funny how the things that we grew up scared of as children can linger with us as adults? You know, it's like, I don't know about you guys, but were you afraid of whatever was under your bed? If you had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night when you were coming back, did you kind of, did you ever just jump into the bed so that whatever could be hiding under there couldn't grab you? I think in the back of my mind, even to this day, I'm still scared of that thing that's hiding under my bed. Thank you for joining me for this edition of Alan After Dark. Remember, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. We'll see you soon.